Well, today I, I want to talk about the wonder of the resurrection. Uh, it's not that I wish my life away, but I do look forward to the resurrection. I look forward to that more than anything else, which is saying something because there are many things that I enjoy in this life, many things that I love in this life. Oh, sorry, could you just move back a bit? Yeah, I need to get access to it. There we go. It's not going yet. Could you click it? Yeah, there we go. Sorry, don't know why that's not working. It was working a minute ago. Uh, So you can see, there's much in my life that I really enjoy. That's my grandson uh, having a tea party uh, with his friends. And I think uh, he's two years old, and I think that's just a wonderful part of the imagination uh, that we have. Uh, I look forward to the resurrection because I will be with Jesus and he will have remade me and wiped out all my imperfections. Resurrected life will be eternal, uh, which does not mean long and boring, but not limited by time. So there will be no need to be impatient. Everything will be as it should be. So there will be no place for impatience or boredom or anger. There are things in this world that make me angry, but they will pass away. And we will see Jesus face to face and enjoy his infinite beauty. Uh, If you're a Christian, you can and should look forward to this too. It's not a question of whether you are a good Christian or a bad Christian. However you want to judge that, and God doesn't judge that. You are either a Christian or, if you will excuse me for saying so, not yet a Christian. You either trust Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, or I hope you will because of what he has done for us and where he's leading us. And I join with all those who say that Jesus sets the bar very low. It's not about how often you go to church or how good you are. It is, as I discussed on Friday, whether you know you need Jesus. Uh, Whether you think you can get through life on your own or whether you realise that actually doing it with God and in God's way is the best way to live. The Christian life is not a hijack but a bar that any one of us can stumble over as long as we know that Jesus is the key. A man stumbling over, but still getting there. I know that that is an offence to some, that the the bar is low. They would like the, the bar to be set really, really high, actually just below what they can get over. But... uh, But that's not the way it works. (laughs) The bar is low so that as many of us as possible who recognise we need Jesus can join him in the resurrection. And if you don't think you need Jesus, I hope and pray that this sermon and this service will help you step into the wonderful light that is Jesus and accept his love and mercy. A good reason to do that is what we're looking forward to, and that is the resurrection of the body. 
Uh, normally, when we speak about the Christian life, we talk about love and the personal sacrifice that lo- lies behind love. We say it's not about us, it's about others. But with the resurrection, it's what we get. We don't need to be shy or ashamed of it. It is what God promises. And I think we diminish God if we do not see it as something absolutely wonderful. Leave aside for a moment that it's undeserved. We get what God wants us to have, so we should be thankful and look forward to it. It's something that we rightly celebrate today, but it should be with us every day. We know who we are and we know where we're going. I wish we had time today to read the whole of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Well, of course, we do have that time, but nothing is more important than this. But I fear that you may drift off if we read all 58 verses. So I've chosen two readings for us today. The first eight verses, which make clear just how important the resurrection is, and then verses 35 to 58, Uh, a substantial chunk, but so wonderfully hopeful in their completeness that I couldn't, really couldn't leave any of them out. It's, It's very rare in the Bible to find one of the authors say, what is of first importance? Jesus says, the most important command is to love God and love neighbour. And and Paul likewise places a great emphasis on love in 1 Corinthians and Galatians 5 and other places. But in the context of Paul encouraging the young and fractious church in Corinth in the mid-50s to follow Jesus, Paul says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, this good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. First importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who we know as Peter, and then to the Twelve. And then Paul mentions that he appeared to a number of other people and, and that he himself saw the risen Lord Jesus. So without the resurrection, nothing else matters. We would be believing in vain. If they found the bones of Jesus today, we might as well close up shop and go home. We would have what many think is a nice ethic, but it would be totally separated from reality. But the reality is that Jesus did rise and that he has shown us what the resurrection looks like and therefore everything that we do has purpose and direction. Many people saw the risen Lord Jesus. Various theories have been put forward for how the early church got away with saying that Jesus rose from the dead. All are hopeless. If you have any doubts, I suggest you read this book, Jesus and the Resurrection of the Son of God. 700 pages. 
don't challenge you. And it, it just totally demolishes the unprovable and unproven theories of the doubters. It's also a great read, actually. Jesus has been raised, and Paul says, for since death came from a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, and so in Christ all will be made alive. He, he, he's not talking about the new life that we have when we become Christians, the born-again bit, which is true and great and, uh, and wonderful. He's talking about the resurrection. And Paul anticipates our question. Verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And Paul answers his own question. The body that is sown is imperishable. It is raised, it is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. He's talking about you. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That is what you have got to look forward to. A brand new, glorious, powerful body that is fit for our new purpose to enjoy God in heaven forever. Paul's reference to a spiritual body is not to a purely spiritual existence floating around in some intangible ether, but a physical, imperishable, spirit-filled human body. Just as Jesus appeared after his resurrection in a recognisable embodied form with the scars of his beating and death visible, so we will have a new but recognisable body. I will be me and you will be you. Jesus' disciples saw the wounds of the nails and the stab wound in his side. And this raises the question, will we carry the scars of this life? Will we still bear the physical and mental scars of this life? Our disappointments, our frustrations, the knowledge of our sins, the things that hold us back now. And the answer is a very clear no. Our sins will be wiped away. Nothing will hold us back. Doubt's gone, regret's gone. There will be no cause for tears or cries of anguish. And while Jesus' disciples saw scars in his resurrected body, which of course helped them identify him, they did not see his glorified body until they joined him. They did not see the body that he has, um, that he will have when he is in heaven. And so Paul says it will be like that with us. But just to make that clear, we've only, humans have only ever seen his resurrected body. They haven't seen his glorified body. When we go to heaven, we will have glorified bodies. St Augustine said that he thought that we'd all be about 26 or 27. Where that fits for the children, I don't know, and some of us get better with age. I really don't know. But the basic thing is that we will all be in the best form that we could possibly ever be because that's how Jesus will remake us. 
And so Paul says, it will be like that with us. Verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, and at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Done. Nailed to a cross. Jesus' death for us on the cross and God accepting that death by raising Jesus to new life and taking him up into heaven guarantees that we share in this glorious new form of life. As we say in our creeds, we believe in the resurrection of the body. And when we say that each week, this is what we mean. We're claiming what God promises. We're claiming what I've just described and which Paul describes so much more wonderfully. But this raises a subject that has been controversial of late. What will be the place of disability in heaven? For centuries, this does not appear to have been much of an issue. People longed for a perfect body and mind with no disability. And we may ask, where is the victory if there is still disability? But in the last few decades, disability has been habilitated not rehabilitated, but habilitated. We now try to accommodate disability with greater understanding and employment opportunities, many forms of accessibility and, and specific rights, and all that is good. And disability advocates prefer to say they are otherwise abled. And what has been called disability is seen as an essential part of who they are. Some of them expect to be and want to be similarly otherwise abled in the resurrection. I admire what they do in this life, but I think they're wrong about the life to come. The stories of Jesus' healing when, uh, that we've been seeing in uh, our studies in Mark's Gospel over the last couple of months are not there just to explain Jesus' notoriety and his divine powers to show he is the Messiah and the Son of God. They are there to show us what the kingdom of heaven will be like, what life will be like with Jesus as the king. And uh, in the calming of the storm, we see the kingdom will have no natural disasters. In the feeding of the 5,000, we see the kingdom will have no hunger and only abundance. In the raising of Lazarus and Jairus' daughter, we see there will be no death. In the healing of the deranged man at Genarisat, we see that people similarly afflicted will be in their right minds and restored relationally. And uh, that is what the kingdom is going to be like. In the healing of the socially outcast lepers and demon-possessed people, we see the restoration of 
fully human, God-shaped society. In the healing of the paralysed man and the healing of the blind, deaf and mute, we see not the restoration of them to what they once were, but the restoration of them to the fully abled bodies and minds that they will have in the resurrection. The picture we have in the climactic chapter of Paul's great letter is a glorious life in glorious new bodies and minds with the love of our life, Jesus Christ. But what are the other loves of our lives? My wife, Carlin, was involved in two catastrophic car accidents when she was in her early 20s. One was so bad that they were amazed that anyone survived. Carlin suffered a serious black injury and she's carried that and the internal scars for over 40 years. She has seen physios for decades. And she's faced many other physical and mental challenges that have significantly impacted her sense of self and her enjoyment of life. But she will put those behind her. I look forward to the resurrection because I will see the resurrected Kaolin when she will be as God has always intended her to be. And that is not a vain hope. It is guaranteed by the words of God that flowed from Paul's pen. And the resurrection of Jesus himself. We will join the saints and see them in the glory that God longs to share with them, as with each one of you. I know a number of others here have got long histories of problems. I look forward to seeing you in your resurrected, perfect way, enjoying life eternal. And I also look forward to seeing our Airedales in heaven. God loves us. He gave us Airedales. In this case, Smith, Molly, Jethro, Charlie, Muffin and Fred. That's, you know, it's, 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 it's a physical world that we're going into. I just can't wait. And there may even be cats in heaven. I look forward to seeing you in your resurrected bodies. But more than that, I want to see you all joyful beyond all measure. And how does Paul end this wonderful section of my favourite of his letters? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm... Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. There are rewards in this life, but none that compares to what we can all look forward to. If we leap, stroll or stumble over that bar of simply knowing that we need Jesus 
and removing anything that stands in our way of enjoying him forever. So, this Easter, stand firm. Have a joyful, hopeful Easter. For Christ is risen. Amen.